it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber, and I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical therapy and occupational therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Vikram Seth Raman, the CEO of PT Wired. PT Wired is an RTM and patient engagement solution for physical therapy clinics. Paul and Vikram talk through how much money you can make with RTM, strategies for a successful RTM implementation, and the biggest mistakes to avoid when implementing RTM. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. I've learned a lot of things, and I would say one of the things I've learned over the last year in particular is, is that RTM is one of those interesting topics where nobody denies that RTM is the future. Everybody's like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, there's going to be more RTM. And then I'll ask our clients, well, what are you doing with RTM? And they'll say, well, nothing yet. <laughs> and, and I find that disparity kind of jarring. And then I'll say, well, why? And, and then everybody's got a different reason. Some of them, they'll say, staffing's tough, and I don't want to like add one more thing. And others will say, well, it just seems like a lot of work. And I don't know. So I'm curious, like just starting at a high level, you know, with, with PT Wired, you guys have been around for a couple of years now. What are you guys noticing with RTM? I mean, that's a genuinely broad question. What's, uh, well, give me the high level overview of RTM, PT Wired, and let me know if you're totally disagreeing with what I, what I'm saying anyway. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree with it. I've, I get that response. It, it's definitely net less nowadays, now that it's been more than a year and a half that RTM has been introduced in the space, but definitely we, we have a lot of people that say, exactly what you just shared in terms of, I don't have time, blah, blah, blah. And our response is, is and, and what, what we found that kind of lands with a lot of people is, look, you're already doing a lot of this stuff anyways. You're just not billing for it. So it's literally money being left on the table. I mean, you've been doing this since the RTM codes were out. You've been doing this before the RTM codes were out. So do you have time to pick up the money that you're you're earning but not not collecting because that's really the the main premise of it because that kind of changes their their mindset a little bit where it's not as much like doing something new to get new stuff but rather reaping the rewards of the stuff that you've already been doing and and obviously with RTM there's some fine tuning to get it exactly you know you do have to introduce some new processes but a lot of the things that are involved are things that you've already been doing so you might as well you know, get paid for it. <laughs> what does that look like for you guys? So let's say you get over that objection normally. So to be clear, by the way, you know, we're, we're more on the billing side, right? So we've, you know, we've got this EMR and all that, but you know, our core business is, is, is the billing. So we don't really have a skin in this game just yet. But I guess the question is like, once you get over that objection though, what does that implementation strategy look like? Like, what have you seen that works? You know, it, I know this is a big question, right? But like when you get past that, what what are the strategies that you've seen work for your clients? Yeah, so the reality of answering this question is it depends. And usually what we do is we have a call where we talk to the clinic and learn more about how they operate in terms of are you a clinic that's fully booked out and you know for 3 weeks in advance? Are you a clinic that, you know, maybe you just hired a couple new staff PTs and you have some open slots and you have some time to to fill? Uh, are you somewhere in between? Uh, you know, because these types of questions really dictate what RTM 
strategy makes the most sense. That's something that we've learned. You know, we have a, a mastermind group um, of a lot of our clinics who, who implement RTM. And we have these chats every couple of weeks where people share what works well, what strategies they do and all that. And what we found is a lot of people who are successful with RTM have taken very different approaches. And it just depends on how their clinic is. For example, with a clinic that is, they have open slots, they have time during the day because they're not fully booked out. That's time that somebody can be spending doing RTM in the clinic. Whereas if there's somebody that is fully booked out weeks in advance, you know, for you to adopt RTM, there's some codes that you'll be able to hit without any changes. And then there are the other codes, the, the interactive communication code 9890-9891 that you'll have to either hire a new provider to kind of oversee RTM for, for your clinicians who takes care of that code or, you know, kind of outsource that to a, to a company that staffs those providers. That kind of approach will differ depending on how the clinic operates. So yeah, that, that's how we usually approach the conversation is we'll talk to the clinic. We have all the questions that we, we, we've learned over the course of the past year and a half to, to kind of make a recommendation in terms of what strategy seems like the best fit for them. I feel bad because I'm asking potentially big questions here and you can totally uh, skip them if we need to. But like, let's say we get past all that. You know, you mentioned, I think one of the things that you said that resonates really well is like, you're already doing the work. So you might as well just get paid for some of that anyway. What does that look like? You know, so in other words, let's just say your practice and, you know, you, you've got three clinicians and, you know, you're doing well, however you define well, and then you add on RTM uh, on there. Are we talking just ballpark, national, you know, no no specific states or anything? Are we talking like a generally like a 5% increase in revenue? 10, 12, 2? Again, nationally. I know every state's different, right? But ballpark. Yeah. So, so if you implement RTM at your practice, then on average, if you're doing it well, for a patient that's enrolled, you'll get $120 to $160 of revenue per patient per month. Uh, of your RTM enrolled patients. Uh, and obviously that requires you to do all the requirements and build the codes. And, you know, there's some billing, I guess, complications probably isn't the right word, but there's some things you have to kind of think about when you build these codes, because they're not traditional codes that people are used to billing in terms of how to put it into your workflow, how to make sure you bill it on time, because, you know, they're billed per calendar month for some of the codes. So you don't want to miss the calendar month that you're supposed to bill it in. Some are billed per 30-day period, so you don't want to bill it too late because then, you know, then you, your next 30-day period may overlap. So there's just kind of those that factor to it of the billing side. And then from the home exercise side, in terms of, you know, your question of what does it look like and just the general monitoring for the codes. So I'll kind of break it down because when we think about what people are already doing, a lot of a lot of providers are already creating home exercise programs that are that are digital, creating these care plans messaging patients in between visits. A lot of people are already calling even patients in between visits to check in. And the time that you spend doing those things are, especially if you're like tracking the patients in between the visits on, on your HEP system, that's all factored into that RTM management services time. What you need is a system that will take care of the tracking for you. Uh, I mean, it, it is possible, obviously, to do that outside of that on your own. That adds a, another layer of complication to it. But that is that's certainly a possibility. But in terms of, you know, what you're doing already, you're already ticking the boxes 
but you do need to be able to kind of track it and document it to then make sure that you're doing it compliantly. And then, yeah, then, then like I said, fill in the codes, making sure you have a, a good process for the billing side of things. Yeah. This is like a little aside, by the way. So it's interesting. You talk about one, I think it's 120 to 160 per month or whatever on this, which is interesting because, you know, just again, we're just talking national averages here, but, you know, across even our data set, we can see the average patient visit is going to be about a hundred bucks. Again, plus or minus, you know, state by state. And so the idea of like adding on an additional 150, 160 for something they're basically already doing seems like a no brainer. And yet, at least in my experience, a lot of these practice owners will sort of make an excuse that I think is kind of lame. And I'll give you sort of an example, just because I'm like griping about this. I was sitting down for dinner with a guy, uh, one of our clients that has uh, eight or nine practices. I think it was like last month or something like that. We were sitting down for dinner. And I said, what are you doing with AT- uh, RTM? And he said, well, uh, you know, nothing yet. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. <laughs> That's what he says. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to push this further. Well, we happen to leave the restaurant and as we're walking out, like you know, there's a nickel on the floor, literally a nickel. And this guy stopped the, stopped walking to pick this nickel up and put it in his pocket. And I looked at him and was like, are we for real? Are we for real right now? <laughs> we were just talking about RTM and you thought the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And you just stopped me for 30 seconds to find a nickel on the floor. So I don't, there's no, there's not a question in that, but I just think this whole thing is ironic. And I think that, um, I, I just think that it's interesting because I like from my view on this, I just, my 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 perspective, whatever. I think RTM's here to stay. The question is, how big is it going to get? And let's let's talk. About, maybe let's just kind of switch to the patient side. I mean, you know, like patient engagement's a big part of this. Uh, obviously, if if the patient doesn't do anything with it, then that's a problem too. So let me just kind of leave the question broad here. So patient engagement, patient dropout, like patient retention. What, t- can you talk a little bit about that? Obviously, feel free to talk about it in the context of PT Wired or, or the industry. But what um what's going on on that side of the 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 equation? Sure. I mean, prior to RTM, that was really you know the number one thing we always talked about because you know in terms of implementing uh, PT Wired at a practice, that's one of the main objectives is to create a more engaging experience with patients, so ultimately they get to discharge rather than drop out. I mean, I could rattle off some of the stats on dropout in terms of, you know, how many patients drop out in the first three visits or over the full course of care and, you know, how many people never get to discharge. And those numbers are always, uh, I think, every practice owner should be thinking about that and look at their retention rate, crunch the numbers to see, all right, if we increased our retention by 1%, how does that impact our bottom line? Our average visits by, you know, 0.5, how does that impact our bottom line? And you can see that a relatively small move to the needle can have a very significant impact on revenue. And that's why we really focus on patient engagement so much is because what a lot of the research says is that the main place where patients are at risk of dropping out is when they are at home. They don't have the social support, the the reinforcement, the guidance that a provider will give them in the clinic. They then start to see the perceived barriers to physical therapy working for them, quote unquote. Um, They have issues with kind of their self-efficacy to complete it. And then without the social support, then that's where they really start failing and then start becoming one of those patients who says, all right, physical therapy doesn't work for me. I'm going to go back to the surgeon or get some medication or, or find another way to you know, solve my, my pain. Whereas if we have an engaging system that gives us access to the patient in that crucial moment when they're at home versus in the clinic, 
So then we can provide them that support. We can provide them that education, provide them the check-ins, provide them the progress tracking that they need to then stay on track and then be one of the patients that says, oh, PT is working great for me. And then they hit their goals. They get discharged rather than dropping out. They have 12 visits instead of three. That's going to be a big change to the bottom line. And then it, it goes even beyond that because then that's a patient that when their shoulder gets messed up and it's not their hip now, you know, then they're coming back to the clinic and then, you know, or if their friend's shoulder gets messed up, they know where to send them or, or you know, their mom or their, their spouse or whoever. So th- there's so much to patient engagement that's more even than just the average visit. And that's something I could talk about for a long time in, in terms of what goes into it. I mean, we probably should. And by the way, you can totally laugh at me on this, but you know, it's interesting listening to you talk about that because it, so much of it sounds very similar to how consumer apps think about engagement, retention, stickiness, that sort of stuff. Because that, that, that's like everything you're saying sort of aligns with that. It's like, I'm probably misquoting this, but like there's this old stat on Facebook somewhere that says something like, if you connect with seven of your friends, you're more likely to then stick with Facebook. Or with Twitter, it's like if you post three tweets or comment on three tweets, you're more likely to now stick around with Twitter. So it's kind of like what we're what you're talking about. It just sort of feels like I'm going to get in trouble for this. It feels like the only people that don't get it are the healthcare people, (laughs) you know. But ultimately, it feels like it's really about stickiness. And and you know, again, I'm probably going to lose some friends for saying it that way. Because, but yeah, like let's if you if feel free to take this down the path. Like if you've got more thoughts on patient engagement or patient stickiness, like let's, let's go down that path. Otherwise I can kind of like shift the, the conversation elsewhere if it's easier. Sure. So, I mean, the way that we approach this was by looking at, you know, the studies on why do people not adhere to the home exercise program? What's involved for behavioral change? So I guess if we start with adherence to the home exercise program, there were three main main buckets. So first was perceived barriers to adherence. So that's things like forgetting, not having time, not having scheduled it in their day. So then that we can address by sending them push notification reminders, giving the provider an option to see if they've completed it. And then if not, send them a message, having a recommendation to schedule it in, into their day. That's the first bucket. Second bucket is self-efficacy, so kind of the individual's belief that they are capable of achieving it, capable of doing it. Uh, We can address that by providing them more engaging instructions. So providing them instead of a handout with a picture with text instructions, provide them a full HD video that they can then leave a comment on that goes to their provider to ask for clarification if they need. Um, And then finally, social support. So again, having that link between the provider and the patient in between visits not only to be able to send them a message, but then also just being aware of the fact that everything that they're doing is being tracked by their provider. So then they, they really are going through care with, you know, with somebody alongside them, not just in the clinic, but in between visits as well. So, so that, that's how we kind of approached it, is looking at what the, the clinically proven reasons are for that, those barriers and then kind of building features in that specifically address them. Mm. I feel naive asking this question, but like, has anybody ever tried like um, little treats? Should there be like a $5 Starbucks gift card or something like that? I mean, if we're talking about $120 to $160, I mean, you're smiling. So let me stop there. (laughs) Has anybody tried that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So so we actually built a whole feature set, customizable feature set exactly on this. If 
if you go on um on our website and go to the the marketing at the top you'll see like a marketing tab and then you scroll down to reward incentive programs you'll see kind of an example of this um i, I think the one that we have on our website is is a group that said do your routine 15 times and you get a a t-shirt or like a branded clinic t-shirt but yeah no we, we've had people do all types of things with this we've had people say earn a a hat, a t-shirt. We've had people say, earn a free assessment for a friend or, or follow up, you know, people have gotten very creative with it. Uh, and then everything you can do, obviously to gamify things, make it, make it better. will will obviously pay dividends, both in terms of uh, patient retention. And then obviously if it's an RTM patient as well, that engagement is really what's needed for them to be billable for RTM. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it's just the parallels here between the consumer world and this are just uh, sort of feels undeniable. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, <they're> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's um, again, I'm, I probably won't make any friends by saying this, but it just seems to me that the healthcare industry on the whole just looks a lot like the consumer industry 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And I don't mean that as any like offensive remark, really more just that some of these concepts that that you're talking about and, and things like that are are new to the healthcare world, but, you know, somewhat solved practices. Like BJ Fogg is this researcher at, at Stanford. I believe he runs the Persuasive Technology Labs. And he, a lot of stuff you're talking about sort of reminds me of some of his research around, around uh, what makes an app stick, you know, what makes people want to do these things. So let's maybe talk about the future of RTM. You know, I, I, I don't know enough about it to say, speak about it, you know, confidently, but it seems to me that there's likely to be more RTM-related codes rather than less. Everything's going to be more, not less. It's not going away. But what's what does RTM look like over the next five or 10 years? Yeah, I mean, everything seems to indicate that RTM is here to stay. With uh, the proposed rule that was just released a couple of weeks ago, that was you know only really positive changes for, for RTM in there. Also, so far, obviously, when these codes launched, it was just Medicare that was reimbursing, and now a lot more commercial insurers have started to pick them up as well. Um, and that's in large part based on the research that's come out and, and, and kind of the results of, of how RTM is benefiting practices uh, and, and benefiting patients. I mean, that, that's what it's all about, too, is, is getting patients to better outcomes through physical therapy in this type of model, which includes the, the remote aspect of care as well. So, yeah, I, I am uh, I'm very excited about kind of just where it's come in the, in the past year and a half and and then where it's going. Obviously, as tech continues to develop, I think there'll be more and more creative tools that can be used for RTM to monitor patients and, and get more data from patients than just kind of self-reported data. And, and then also make the check-ins easier to manage on the provider side as well and streamlined on the provider end. Yeah. In terms of... Um... With PT Wired and sort of your all's roadmap, I mean, obviously, don't tell me anything I'm not supposed to know, but <laughs> what are the big things coming down your all's product roadmap that you're excited about at the moment? Yeah, so we're doing a big update on the mobile side. We, we talked a little bit about some of the gamification stuff that we do currently with reward incentives, and uh, we have a whole achievements achievements page where people get different trophies and medals and stuff for exercises, routines, streaks, things like that. We're going a, a, a lot deeper into the gamification side in this mobile update, which I'm very excited about. And then also we've been kind of releasing some more just as, as we have more and more people using the RTM system, we get more and more obviously feedback in terms of 
different things that's beneficial for an RTM provider who's managing a lot of patients, uh, either just their own patients or what we have a lot of clinics do is, especially our larger practices, they have RTM-specific providers who manage the patients for everybody. And then kind of learning from their experience how that is as an RTM provider, working with clinical providers who then have their own patients, what type of data they need to see, what type of organization they need to see on their dashboard. Uh, so that's that's been a lot of what we've been working on lately as well. And I think there's a lot more we can do with that too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really cool. For context, obviously, we're recording this early August of 2023, and the 2024 rules are are a few months out, right? I definitely have some thoughts on this, uh, at least broader. But in terms of RTM, again, with the caveat that at the time of this recording, the 2024 rules aren't you know locked down or anything like that. Have you guys kind of looked at that? And do you have any thoughts on kind of what might be coming down the pipe as it relates to RTM? So there's the there's the supervision rule. So basically, in the past, there were kind of supervision rules that were allowed as a result of the PHE from COVID that there was um, uncertainty if that would be permitted after the expiration of the PHE. So then that was included in the proposed rule. I wouldn't say that was kind of a surprise. I think most people expected that or, or at least were, were hopeful of that. So that, that was good news to see that in there. I think, I mean, for me, you know, last year in the proposed rule, they had proposed a lot of changes that would have actually made it a lot more difficult to implement RTM. A lot of kind of changes that then made their, their requirements much more difficult to meet. And, and there were kind of also a lot of use cases that, that were really complicated and, and added some complexity to the point where a lot of practice owners that I was chatting with uh, were saying, look, if these changes get included in the final rule, like it really doesn't make sense to do RTM. Like it, it's, it's going to be kind of like the guy you were talking to. It's going to be more trouble than it's worth. And if those changes had gone through, I think he would have been right. Fortunately, they did not go through. So that was one thing that I was kind of had my eye out for the proposed rule. And, and again, obviously, like you mentioned, <laughs> maybe I'll, I'll be shooting myself in the foot when the final rule comes <laughs> yeah. out and all those ones are in there, even though they weren't yeah. the proposed rule. But uh, yeah, that, that that was, I think, nice to see is that this year, um, it was just positive changes for RTM that were proposed. And, and I, I think that kind of attests to the fact that it is working. The data says it's working. The patients are are, are definitely getting better outcomes with it. Again, caveat, I'm, I'm new, I don't know RTM that well and all that stuff. But I think one of, at least from my view, I think one of the other things that a lot of providers don't openly think about very often is that the, the demographics are going to change over the next couple of years as well. And I think that, yeah. you know, while the current population may be a little bit, I'm trying not to stereotype, but the current population that may not be enjoying mobile usage and, and, you know, technology and all that stuff. The reality is like, I'm, for example, I'm 42. I'm a few years out from now becoming the primary demographic. And there's people that are in between me and the current demographic that are going to age in. I guess where I'm going with this is, is that like, there's always that chance that there may be a step backwards, particularly as it relates to RTM. I suspect longer term, it's going to stick around and it's going to get broader and opener and better for everybody. Just at the end of the day, the patient is really going to dictate what, you know, what, what happens here. And I think um, as awkward as it sounds, the alternative right now is do nothing or go look it up on YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so, uh, so that's, anyway, that's a poorly articulated way uh, of saying that I just think that even if there do end up being like setbacks on the RTM rules, 
I think it's going to right side itself pretty quick eventually anyway. And, and the other thing I'll just say is, uh, again, not that my opinion matters too much on this. I think that the reality is, is that given kind of the broader trend, which is that, you know, in general, you're always going to see a decrease in reimbursement rates, right? Like the broader trend is always about a 2% decrease in reimbursement rates. As of the time of this recording, the latest guidance seems to indicate a three to maybe three and a half percent decrease. You kind of have to do something like this to, to make up for that. You know, like something else, providers are going to have to do something else to pay their bills. And I know it sounds awkward to say, and nobody really talks about this publicly, I feel like, but at private dinner tables or whatever, I hear about this all the time. They're like, there's that grumble of, I don't know, I don't think I'm going to do it. Da, da, da. And then after about two beers, it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> an extra hundred bucks is an extra hundred bucks. And, you know, I, I'm going to have to cross that bridge eventually. So there's, there's optimism in there somewhere, uh, <laughs> buried, of course, but I think it's, I think, I guess what I'm just saying is I think you're in the right spot. And I think, uh, I think RTM's going to get bigger. The question is not if, but just when and at what rate. Yeah. And real quick, in terms of kind of the, the people who are thinking, yeah, maybe in five years, people will age into it. That was, I think, maybe more relevant when only Medicare was paying. But now with these commercial insurers picking up the codes, now that's that's not really a, a reason to, to hold off because obviously this this does depend on on the state and, and, you know, the plans and things like that. But lots and lots of commercial insurers have picked up the codes and, you know, it only it, it seems to be going in that direction across the board. So that that's another another change in the space that now what used to be an excuse to, to wait is no longer a, a, an excuse or at least a good one. Well, you know, it's interesting that comment about waiting, you know, it's, I, I don't think anybody listening to this would agree with me on this just yet. But, you know, for me, having been in the, on the tech side of things, consumer internet, investing, all that stuff, what we've learned over the last couple of years in general is, is there's really no value in waiting. In other words, like, most markets tend to be dominated by the first mover or the second mover, and then everybody else is sort of just lost in there. In other words, like whether you're in a direct access state or not, the reality is, is word gets out. And if, let's just say, hypothetically, RTM gets really popular really fast, patients aren't naive. Like if they, if all of a sudden they want to do it, there's going to be word on the street. Well, that provider has it. And again, you don't have to take my word for it. I mean, just look at the rest of the internet. Google wasn't necessarily the first search engine, but it certainly was the second big one and eventually became the first one. And every other search engine after that, it's a power law distribution. So I think it's very similar here. Providers are going to have to do that or think that way because waiting as a strategy doesn't work for anybody. <laughs> so, so I was talking to one of our other clients who's got, I think he's got like 10 or 12 practice locations now. And we were talking about RTM. Actually, maybe your name came up because of that. Anyway, he said something like, yeah, it's just the hiring market's so hard. I'm just afraid of putting one more thing on the on on my clinicians and and then having to go backfill the role. You know, what what do you say to that? Like what's the Obviously, I don't agree with that, but I'm curious what you say to that when somebody on the phone says to you, man, like, "Hey, I can't put one more thing on the clinician. I can't train him on on PT wired." I guess a couple things. First of all, I would go through the full conversation with him in terms of asking him the different questions to see what bucket of RTM strategy he falls into. But it sounds like it sounds like he falls into the one where they are are pretty busy and, and pretty you know scheduled out potentially, and that's why it's kind of more of a challenge to put one more thing on on their plates. And if that's the case, I would say this: so 
there are four RTM codes. Some of them are what we call as kind of patient usage-based codes and others are provider usage-based codes. So some are based on the level that the patient engages and some are based on the time and the communications that the provider provides. So regardless of if you go for those codes, you should definitely be billing the patient-based codes if, if you can um, and if you're, if you're meeting the requirements for those codes. So that's kind of the first thing. And secondly, even if you're fully booked out, which is great, that's a great problem to have, but even if that's the case, you're going to have cancellations. And if you're going to have a cancellation, that provider is going to have you know maybe an hour that they would be seeing somebody that they're no longer seeing somebody. And that's time that they could be, be spending doing RTM. They could be doing it for their patients. They could be doing it for other patients. And yeah, maybe they aren't going to be hitting all of their patients all eligible for every code because they are fully booked out and because they you know only get however many cancellations a week. But again, this is turning time that would have been spent that would have been spent generating no revenue to now generating revenue. And and you know that can be just based on how many cancellations you get. So there's there's many different kind of approaches that you can take to it. Obviously the another approach, if he's a guy with 12 locations, he could probably just hire somebody specifically devoted to RTM for the entire practice. And then nobody in the whole practice has to change anything that they do. They can be doing things exactly how they were doing before, but then now they're going to be generating RTM revenue for all of the providers across all 12 locations because they have an RTM provider now who's overseeing that. That's what I would actually recommend to him in his situation. We have a lot of people doing that and that is working very well and they're, they're generating thousands in, in revenue every month from, from RTM. But yeah, so so it, it that that's why I said at the, at the beginning we we would just have that conversation with them, see what their structure is, see how they work, and then kind of make make some recommendations from there. Yeah, that's cool. Let's talk about mistakes. The flip side of it, and and again, I I don't want you to tell me anything I'm not supposed to know, right? But like just just to kind of throw it out there, for example, when we think about our clients, basically the only reason they ever leave is if the practice didn't work out. So in other words, startup practices were really the most at-risk client for us because other than that, they're in the billing flow. And you know, if we do our job, they, they don't have any reason to leave. What are some of the big mistakes or big challenges you see within your own customer base? And, and again, don't tell me anything I'm not supposed to know, of course, but uh, to the extent that you can share, if somebody's going to roll out sure. RTM, what's the biggest mistakes you see during that process? So, so the two biggest ones were actually a pretty big surprise to me that these were the two biggest and not what I expected. The biggest problem is that sometimes people just don't build the codes either on time or at all. So they do all the work, they meet the requirements, and then they haven't created a, a workflow where they they build the codes and then end up leaving money on the table. That is obviously, you want to want to avoid that. And then another problem is it not enrolling enough patients in RTM. So patients who are eligible for RTM based on their insurance, not enrolling them for, for whatever reason. We see this at a lot of our bigger clinics where we can very easily pull up a summary of how many total RTM eligible patients they saw in a month and then look at how many ones they were actually enrolled and then see a big disparity there. And there are varying reasons for that. Some people take the approach of explaining to the patient the whole program and then asking, hey, do you want to join into this program? Some people will kind of automatically enroll them in the program and then and go from there. And then some leave it up to the provider to make a, you know, a judgment call. So that's some of the, some of the reasons there. But I would say those are the two biggest issues that we see typically. 
That's interesting about the billing side that they don't bill for it. Just, I know we're talking in broad strokes here, but is that because their billing team isn't aware of the constraints, you know, whether they're time-based or is it just, and again, we're talking broadly, right? I mean, obviously every situation is different, but I, I, I didn't expect you to say that part. <laughs> I thought, I thought it'd be something else, but to say that it's like the billing is one of your top two, that's fascinating to me. Like I said, I, I didn't expect it either. And I, I so there are a couple of reasons. First, with some EMR systems, obviously, when when people built billing systems in, in EMRs, it was before RTM was around. And RTM is built very differently than traditional codes. So a lot of EMR systems aren't equipped to at least build them in a streamlined way. So that that creates some complications. And then also, I think a lot of a lot of times also it's it's kind of workflow related. Sometimes there's just, you know, PTs are used to seeing it, doing a visit, attaching the codes to the visit. And like, that's how they, how, how billing typically happens. And then what's, what's a bit challenging with RTM is the flow of it is, is different because they may meet the requirements one day and you'll have to check it the next day to see if they, they meet the requirements or, or you, you know, you'll, you'll need to see, you'll, you'll need to kind of be keeping track of, of how the patient is progressing or have somebody do that, whether that's the provider, whether that's the single RTM person, whether that's even like somebody from the front office checking every every day, like, all right, do we have anybody who's eligible for RTM today on Wednesday now to be billed rather? And it's never an issue that's like unsolvable. It's just because it's a, such a new type of code to be billed. It's something that people aren't used to really. It, it doesn't fit seamlessly into the workflow for, for a lot of people. They have to kind of add that extra check. And since they're not used to that. That's where some codes can kind of fall through the cracks. Interesting. Yeah. I will tell you of all the things I thought we were going to talk about today, th this is not it. <laughs> so <laughs> this is super fascinating. You know, one thing I didn't talk to you about at the beginning here, talk about PT Wired. You know, obviously I, I've read the website, but can you give me a quick background on the story and, and kind of where you are today? Sure. So PT Wired, we do branded patient engagement apps specifically for PT clinics. So Every clinic that uses PT Wired gets their own mobile app in the App Store and the Play Store. It's all custom branded to the clinic, fully white labeled. So when the patient downloads the app, they go to the App Store and then they download Peak Physical Therapy app or Elliott Physical Therapy app. They don't download PT Wired. And then that creates this kind of whether their patient is in the clinic or out of the clinic, everything that they see is that brand. So it's, it's a full continuity of the brand that they see. And then the way that we we kind of like to explain this to, to clinics is anything that you want to put in the app that's in there. If it's scheduled, you know, patients can schedule schedule appointments. Patients can be their home exercises. Patients can pay bills. Patients can message their provider. Patients can track their progress. We talked about some of the marketing things that you can do in terms of um, creating like a reward program. But then you can also add buttons, add marketing content, add messages. So there's a lot of customization that can go into it. Um, but the overall idea is kind of the full patient engagement platform for physical therapists and, and physical therapy clinics. On the provider side, then we have a provider portal where they're able to create the home exercise programs, message their patients, create templates, create favorites. And then on our RTM dashboard, that's where all the magic happens for remote therapeutic monitoring in terms of tracking the progress, um, looking at reports of, of how people are progressing, and then being able to kind of optimize your time and who you with who you engage with, and then also automatically track all of the time that you spend for the time-based RTM codes. Track the time, 
track the requirements, and then notify the providers when they have met the requirements for building the codes. Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical therapy and occupational therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata, head over to stratapt.com or email us at hello at stratapt.com.